because he's both merciful and mighty. Not just mighty, but mighty with his mercy. What good would it be if God was just mighty? He could crush us. But he's mighty in his compassion. He's mighty in his love. He's mighty in his forgiveness. He's mighty in his mercy. And that is enough to praise God's holy name. Unlike this world, our God does not use his power to crush the weak, but to lift them up. That is enough for you to praise him. Unlike this world, God does not boast and prop himself up. He humbles himself, coming down as one of us so that he can intercede even for us now because nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows like Jesus because he allowed himself, not in his omniscience, but in his humanity to know what I know. That's enough to praise him. That's enough to praise him. That is enough to praise our God. Would you join me in a short word of prayer as we beseech his holy throne, gracious and merciful God. Lord, we just thank you, thank you for this Sunday morning. One, oh God, that has never been before and will never be again. You give unique gifts to your people. And Lord, I ask that you would pour out your spirit, pour it afresh, illuminate your word, make it clear to us, get us together. <laughs> get your church together, oh God. And make us all smell more and more like the fragrance of Christ. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I am so grateful to be back at Strong Tower, y'all. I consider y'all my cousins over on this side of town. I really do. I really do. I, you know, I, I, um, I'm one of them black folks that claim people as cousins, you know. You know. And so y'all are cousins over here. We really like y'all. And, and I thank you so much for the invitation, Pastor Williamson, and to your wife, Darina. Uh, ministry leadership is quite lonely. I don't know if you've heard that, but it is. Even if we're surrounded by people, we are often still lonely because it's a, it's a weird vocation. It, it just, it's a little weird. Um, and so because we are lonely, we deeply value people who get it without saying a word. And God in his kindness set us up with our older seasoned cousins right here the Williamsons. And they have been doing this thing, shepherding and loving God's people a lot longer than us. And we look to them for both encouragement, but also correction. Because let me tell you, you need to be corrected sometimes. So I am so grateful for their presence and their wisdom and their very generous invitation to me. I bring you greetings from my husband, the Reverend Dr. Micah Edmondson. I call, I just call him Micah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> cause I knew him before he was all those things on the campus of Hampton University as undergrads. Um, but we bring you greetings from Koinonia and I even see some Koinonia sweet faces in the audience. Put your hands in the air and wave it around like you just don't care. They're here. And so they'll be your cousins too. They're lovely people. So one of my favorite, favorite pastimes as a kid growing up in Baltimore, hanging out with my dad was, uh, was to watch old movies together. And when I say old movies, I mean old movies. I don't mean like, I don't mean like New Jack City, Boys in the Hood, 80s, 90s old. I mean like 50s, 60s old <laughs> movies, okay? I mean movies like uh, musicals like Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. I love a good musical, y'all. I love a good musical. Uh, movies like 12 Angry Men, the black and white version. Not the 1980s, but the black and white version, okay? Movies like Citizen Kane, considered one of the greatest movies ever, ever told. Carmen Jones, y'all. Carmen Jones. A Raisin in the Sun. A Raisin in the Sun. And, and that Raisin in the Sun featured one of America's greatest gems of an actor, that Bahamian-American 
Sydney Portier. The late, great, and beautiful Sydney Portier. And it was likely that it was this 1967 movie that my father introduced me to and listening to the commentary in my household as this movie was viewed that helped to begin to shape my racial consciousness at a very young age, at a very young age. It helped me to begin to understand both race and place and justice and in injustice that happens in the world and in politics, but also that happens up in our houses too. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner was that 1967 movie starring Sidney Poitier. A romantic comedy, drama, all them things captured together. A movie of great controversy for its time and still controversial today. Still controversial today. Starring Spencer Tracy and what his final role would be. Sidney Poitier and Katherine Hepburn. It was an all-star Hollywood A-lister at the time, and this movie was profound. The movie certainly highlighted racism and class and even religion, but it was the title itself as well that reminded us of how powerful and costly and provocative and consequential that the guests that come to our house really can be. Who comes to your house? Whose house do you enter? That question still matters today, and it certainly mattered in the ancient Near East. Hospitality was of great imp importance in Jesus' time on the earth. That paradox still rests on us of extending hospitality to some, but also showing great caution of whom one is seen serving. Who can we be around? That was a unique thing about Jesus, his ability to be around whoever he wanted to be around despite what the crowd of the audience had to say. And so this takes us to our text this morning, found in Luke chapter 19, and it reminds us of the power of a particular house guest, not Sidney Poitier, but Jesus Christ, when that guest comes to dinner. What happens when the one who is the guest that's coming to our dinner is not Sidney Poitier, but the man of God, the God-man himself, the Lord Jesus Christ? And the text reads Luke chapter 19, starting at verse one, verse one. He entered Jericho that he is Jesus Christ. He entered Jericho and was passing through and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. See, the Bible doesn't shy away about naming our social categories, by the way, because they matter. We can pretend that they don't matter, but they matter. So the Bible will name your social categories, your gender, your race, your class. It'll call you out because those things matter in how we show up in this world and how we treat other people. And so here we find that he's a chief tax collector, his job, his vocation, and he was rich. Verse 3, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Shout out to the small kings, as my daughter often says. Shout out to the shorter men. <laughs> so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. Can you imagine how happy Zacchaeus would have been if Jesus saw him up in that tree and said, hey, you, 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 
I must come to your house today. Joy is the right word to describe when Jesus calls you out of the crowd. And when they saw it, and who's that they? That's the crowd. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, not to the crowd, but said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house. Since he, is all, since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is God's holy word. In this passage, we find Jesus, Zacchaeus, a grumbling crowd, and an act of restorative justice. Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. That's his job. And no doubt, he was despised by his people. Zacchaeus makes his money extorting his own kinsmen. A little bit extra off the top for the tax collector. Well, that would make you disliked by your people, wouldn't it? As an agent of the empire and not a servant of the kingdom of God, Zacchaeus maintains the status quo for injustice and takes financial rewards from the pockets of an oppressed minority that he is a part of. See, where I'm from, there are a few things that are worse than being a sellout. But that was his job. There are a few insults where I grew up than being a sellout. And that is what Zacchaeus was. He exploited his own people, taking a little bit extra off the top. So, despised by the people of God and yet not fully accepted by those using him within the empire, ooh, isn't he stuck in an interesting place? Zacchaeus upholds and protects the corrupt institution over the vulnerable people for a few trinkets, a few extra dollars. Earlier in Luke, we see evidence of the problematic deeds and temptations of tax collectors of that time, as well as officers of the law. As John the Baptist outlines to them what their vocationally specific repentance must look like now that the kingdom of God is at hand. Back in Luke chapter 3, we read, even tax collectors came to John the Baptist to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Knowing who we are, what I just described to you, what should we do? And John the Baptist says, Jesus' cousin, don't collect any more than you are required to. That's what he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? By soldiers, that's police officers, those who work for the state that enforce the law, that uphold the empire. And they said, well, what should we do? What's our vocationally specific repentance? Because you know you have vocationally specific repentance. And what should we do? And John the Baptist replied, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. And be content with your pay. John the Baptist knows what happens to people when we extort, when we accuse people falsely, when we're not content with our pay, we harm our neighbors. But that's a whole nother sermon. Yet in our passage for today, we find that while money may distract us from reckoning with our guilt, our personal guilt, and even our vocational guilt, 
It can no longer numb the conscience of this particular tax collector. Zacchaeus has been convicted. The grace of conviction has come to Zacchaeus. And all the community was abuzz when the news of Jesus, the miracle working, could he be the Messiah, was coming through town. And this brings me finally, y'all, to our first point. Jesus has good news even for the socially corrupt. And that good news ought to have good news for the society as a whole. Jesus has good news for the socially corrupt and that good news ought to be good news for the society around them. Likely Zacchaeus had heard of the miracle working Jesus coming through his town, maybe through rumor, maybe through hearsay, some kind of way communication happened before social media. But it spread like wildfire and it got to his ears. Maybe those stories back in chapter 18 found him. Stories about Jesus, about the parable of the widow that persisted and persisted. And so Zacchaeus may have heard that if I just knock on the doors of heaven, this Jesus who is gracious will, will hear me, even me. Maybe he heard that story about the persistent widow just one chapter before. Maybe Zacchaeus got word about how even young babies, even children, uh, those who fully dependent on other persons were welcome to come to Jesus and we must never prevent them from doing such. Maybe he had heard word about that. The dignity and honor given to the smallest and the least amongst us. When we hear about God's grace extended so clearly to others, we are right to respond with, why not me, O oh Lord? And as the expression goes, Jesus, I've seen what you've done for others. Why not me? So I suspect that if any rumor could have gotten to Zacchaeus, that would have made him zealous and hopeful enough to climb a tree to catch a glimpse of the man named Jesus. It was probably this story also found with those others, those others in chapter 18 the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. I gotta tell you, if there was a story about the parable of the, you know, the Pharisee and the uh, marriage and family therapist, that would stand out to me as somebody with a degree in marriage and family therapy. If the story about the Pharisee and the girl that grew up in Baltimore, that would stand out to me. And I imagine that this text stood out, this moment, this story would have stood out to him because there's a word, there's a word coming for tax collectors. And I've been called out by name, so let me lean in. What a blessed thing when God calls you out with a special word just for you. Even if it's a hard word. And so... Back in chapter 18, we get the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and I'm just using my holy imagination in assuming that maybe Zacchaeus had heard about this. Maybe he had. You might remember Jesus explaining it this way. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing far off. You can imagine why he was standing far off. 
humility, y'all, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Sounds like the tax collector knows who he really is. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. This is Jesus' word. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. It's coming. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That's coming too. So I don't know what inspires Zacchaeus ultimately. The intricacies of this providential compilation of events, I don't know what got to his ears, but I do know that something got to his feet and his feet began to move and he climbed up that tree. That grown man got so worked up, he climbed a tree. And I haven't climbed a tree since I was a little girl, y'all. And it would take Jesus himself to get me to climb a tree today or maybe a big dog something like that <laughs> Zacchaeus climbed that tree as a recognition of his need and faith faith moved his feet and faith will move your feet faith without works is dead faith will compel you to get close to wherever Jesus just might walk through to get a glimpse of the Savior and Jesus, by the Spirit, is still walking through and with the church today. So I know sometimes there are folks who are deeply disappointed in the church, and they got some legit reasons. But I want to be clear to anybody who might ever hear this, Jesus is still walking by and walking with the church. And if you want to get a glimpse of the Savior walking through, I suggest you keep walking towards the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, by the Spirit, is still walking through and with his church. Get close to the places, to the people, be they imperfect, that Jesus is still walking through and with y'all. Get close, because you might get a glimpse of the Savior. Up in a tree, Jesus sees him and bids him, come down. Jesus then does something shocking, shocking. He invites himself into the home of Zacchaeus. Huh. <laughs> People who I know really, really well, I invite myself to their life. I do, I won't lie to you. I'll just be like, well, you know I'm gonna stop on by. <laughs> well, you know somebody really, really well, you're like, you'll, you'll see me in a little bit. They're like, well, I'm back, don't, don't have to clean up. I'm just coming, I've got to lay eyes on you. I'm stopping through. And Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' home. Don't you worry. Jesus always sees who is trying to see him. Don't you worry. You've been wondering if Jesus sees you, but don't you worry. You climbed that tree by faith and you've been trying to get a glimpse, but don't you worry. He sees who's been trying to see him. Jesus will even come to the home of the guilty, y'all. And we better be glad that he comes to the home of the guilty. <laughs> Verse 5 starts, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must, I must, I might, no, no, I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him joyfully, gladly, contentedly. And we better be glad that Jesus is still inviting himself into our homes. 
coming to people that are guilty and needy, broke down and broke. Those who are wrong, dead wrong. <laughs> He's still coming to our house. Are you glad that Jesus came to your house? Are, are you glad that there is hope for the person and the people that you've been praying for that Jesus just might come to their house too? Jesus makes house visits, y'all. Jesus, through his word, his promises, his resurrection power, still makes house visits today. Praise be to God. In Christ's self-invitation, we are left grateful and humbled, lest nobody can boast, because it was Christ's self-invitation. It was not our good decision and imagination that said, let me let Jesus be my God. No, no, it was Christ's invitation that reached out and grabbed a hold of us. Amen. For by grace, Christ's invitation, you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Stay humble, stay humble, stay humble. It was his invitation that came to your house. But like the Pharisee with the self-righteous prayer back in chapter 18, the people standing amongst Zacchaeus and Jesus, they begin to grumble. Zacchaeus is real happy, as he should be. Guilty folk that have been set free and Jesus has come to your house, you should be happy. You should be glad. But that doesn't mean the folks that know you and know how you cut up, that they are going to be glad. Those people begin to grumble. And so the next point is, folks are going to have something to say <laughs> when Jesus comes to your house. You know your house. You know how you are. And if you don't know, you should ask somebody who you've given enough security to tell you the truth. Are there any... Are there any grumblers in the house? Grumblers. Yeah. There. It might be one right here on this mic. Amazing grace for me, but for my enemy, feels like annoying grace. Amazing grace for me, but I don't know about them. I mean, I want God to be gracious, but gracious to them? That seems like a bit too far. Lord, how are you going to bless them? And you know who your them is right now. You know who your them is right now. So let's be honest. I would have probably grumbled too. Especially if he had taken a little bit of my money off the top. Especially if he was a sellout who had taken from my people. I definitely would have been in that crowd grumbling on those Twitter streets Grumbling. <laughs> you might have grumbled too. When the guilty claim to be with Jesus, it certainly causes a stir. When those that exploit the vulnerable, especially, and aid and abet a systemic injustice claim Jesus as their house guest, some of us grumble. And I would submit that to the extent that you identify in this passage with the broken and the exploited and the unseen and the marginalized, you might grumble too. 
and to the extent you identify with those with social power, unrepentant social currency won on the backs of suffering people, that you might miss everything that I just said. But lean in and look close because the humbled Zacchaeus reminds us that when Jesus comes to our house, it does not end our obligation to our neighbors and those who we have hurt or the systems that we enable. The crowd grumbled. And the word here that is rendered grumble by the translator typically means whispers, mutterings, smoldering discontent. Can you see it? Can you feel it? That smoldering discontent. So the crowd isn't just talking, but rather they are expressing the fruit of resentment that comes from unaddressed injustice and harm. If you've had unaddressed injustice, you're probably going to grumble. I mean, they tripping, but are they really tripping? So the crowd says they are both giving voice. So in that crowd, they are both giving voice to smoldering discontentment. And in some ways, they're also doing something else. They are questioning the goodness of Jesus in his selection of Zacchaeus. That's what we do when Jesus comes to the house of someone who we think he shouldn't come to the house of. We question the goodness of Jesus when he does that. How could you give them grace? They say in the text, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Jesus, do you know who this is? This holy man, Jesus, with these unholy people and moreover a person who has done this harm to us. And that brings us to our next point. Being changed by God must change how you treat people. It must. It must. It must. It better. Singing Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, doesn't mean we don't pay the debts we owe other people. Jesus paid it all so that you could make right what you broke. After hearing the grumbles and the murmurs about not just himself, but about Jesus, whew, imagine how Zacchaeus feels. He got Jesus saying, you know, come down from that tree. I'm coming to your house. He's feeling good. He knows who he is. And then that crowd starts grumbling. And I bet if I was Zacchaeus, I would be like, can y'all just be quiet? <laughs> I mean, I know this person is special, but he don't, maybe he don't know everything about me. Y'all have to go ruin everything. <laughs> Hush up. Can't you see who I'm trying to be right now? Bringing up old stuff. You bringing up old stuff. Let it go. Let it go. I'm a new person in Christ. Don't bring up that old stuff. The fact that I haven't apologized to you. The fact that I mistreated you. The fact that I ignored your pain and suffering. The fact that I covered up nonsense that happened in our life. The fact that I was complicit in abuse. Don't bring up that old stuff. The crowd is grumbling. The crowd is grumbling. The crowd is grumbling. Verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, he didn't say to the crowd, he said to Jesus, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, you know these people out here that's grumbling right now, I restore it fourfold. That's what the text says. And Jesus said to him, 
They sinners too, so you don't owe them nothing. <laughs> so, so Jesus Jenkins might have said that. That's what Jesus Jenkins would have said. know your heart and, and you don't have to apologize to them because I know your heart. I don't know why we think that's a good thing. The Lord knows our heart and we need it to be covered in the blood of Jesus. But that's Jesus Jones that said that. I know your heart. You don't have to worry about that. Or something like those oppressed people deserve their oppression if they didn't wear those hoodies. See, that's Jesus Thomas Jefferson that said that. Or here's another one, or, or the Jesus that says, this is G- Jesus, uh, Jonathan Edwards, uh, don't worry about that. It'll get sorted out in the by and by. Don't worry about how you've been mistreated. Don't worry about your suffering. Don't worry about the consequences of it. Just, just it'll get sorted out in the by and by. So that might be Jesus Jenkins and Jesus Jones and Jesus Thomas Jefferson and Jesus Edwards, but the real Jesus, Mary's baby, the one who wrote the Magnificat which is all about justice, by the way. Jesus, the real one of Nazareth. Jesus, the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. That Jesus, Jesus, the one that got up on the third day with resurrection power in his hand. The real Jesus, not these fake Jesus that we like to call out to defend ourselves, but the real Jesus. That one says, today, salvation has come to this house. Since he's also a son of Abraham, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The real Jesus says that. Zacchaeus heard the grumbles and he knows so does Jesus. Yet he directs his repentance to God. He says, uh, he he turns to Jesus and says, I got to get this right. But although he says to God, I got to get this right, his pockets open up to his neighbor's. That's what repentance looks like, y'all. A lot, a lot of times we want to stop with like, Lord God, I'm so sorry. And I'm done. Oh, that's the beginning of you making phone calls. That's the beginning of you telling the truth on yourself. We apologize to God. And, and, and King David reminded us, in my sin, I have sinned against you alone. That's true. Now I need to make this right with these people, though. He directs his repentance to God, but the direct impact is on his neighbors. Our acts of repentance are to God. We sin against God like David reminded us, but we got to make right by people, y'all. We got to make right by people, y'all. Some of y'all start thinking now about who you're going to text today. Some parents in here are going to have to make some calls. Note I said parents, because there's a whole culture of parents not apologizing, and that is not Christian parenting. We got, we got folks that won't walk into the church right now because mom and dad will not say, I'm sorry. And they know they're wrong. I'm just saying it. We got to do right by people, y'all. We got to do right by people. If Jesus has come to your house, the disenfranchised, the marginalized, the grumblers, your wronged family members, your co-workers, they should not have the temptation to question Jesus' omniscience and goodness because of our stiff-necked, unrepentant ways. Instead, our acts of repentance and posture of generosity 
points to the generous and transformative love of Jesus. When Jesus comes to our house, he sets us free to make right that which we have done wrong, including the systems that we benefit from that wrong others. We are, you and I, sinners in need of grace. Could it be that the grumbles are a part of the providential intricacies of the Holy Spirit, of God at work to wrought forth in us the right fruit in keeping with salvation? The grumbles are on the agenda of God to get us together. Nah, Dr. Christina, they, they, they just hate us. Um, and, and, and they got their sin too. They can't judge me. Okay. But God can. It could all be true that they wrong in their own right. But we're still called to make right what we have done wrong. Jesus does not stop the grumbles of the crowd. He doesn't. He could. He didn't stop the grumbles of the crowd in that text. And we know that Jesus has no problem getting a crowd together. He has no problem stopping a judgmental crowd. When they were all coming after that woman, he said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. He got that crowd together. Remember that? So let me spell this out in the year 2023 of the Lord our God for you. No subtlety in this message. Zacchaeus is affiliated with the exploitive empire. What are your systems of affiliation? What are the systems that you are affiliated with that exploit others? That's a nice journaling activity to do, wouldn't it be? Just write down what am I connected maybe not even because you want to be connected to it some of us are born into privileges that we would rather not have but it is what it is so write them down racial privileges economic privileges good old boys club privileges and when these things cause our neighbors to doubt Jesus's wisdom and mercy having come to our house then shame on us shame on us Christians are repenters. And this matters when we discuss social issues like race and racism and misogyny and elitism and objectification of the poor. You and I were born into a world already running with these systems. We were placed on a train heading in a direction we did not decide, with a starting point that we didn't pick. Yet here we are. Will we stop this train or pretend that this ride of injustice is God's moral will and lie on our thrice holy God? The most scandalous and hated thing about Jesus is Jesus' grace, whose house he's willing to go to. Redeemed folks are thankful folks that God's love reaches far and wide because it reaches them. So why can't I apologize? Our last point, the redeemed repair. The redeemed of the Lord repair. Sinners who desperately need grace are grateful people. As a matter of fact, your gratitude is an indication of how, just how much you think you need grace. I give as much grace as I think I personally need to others. 
God's grace reached, reaches, reaches us, and it even put those grumblers on the agenda of God to provoke us into fuller repentance and freedom. The grumblers are even on the agenda of God. God can refine us through the grumbles of the crowd. I know we want them to shut up. I know we want our conscience to be quiet. We know we don't want to call that aunt, that family member, that coworker. We just like, I just, uh, don't talk about it no more. But the grumbles are on the agenda of God so that we might be even more free, free from guilt, free from guilt. Make it right, apologize, repair. Christians should not be known as the least likely to apologize in their families. Auntie know-it-all, auntie always got something to say, deacon, uncle, sanctified, but mean as all get out. It should not be that way. Should not be that way. Churches should not be known. Christians should not be known in America as the most judgmental people who are the least likely to admit injustice. And that's the data. That's the data. So I want to offer us a bit of advice. I pray that it's holy. <laughs> Something to motivate us as we all continue to develop into leaders for the kingdom of God. And that's all of us. Whether you wear the title of pastor or not, all of us are representatives of Christ if he's come to our house. And so in this role, this calling as his ambassadors to be leaders, I want us all to recognize that sometimes we blow it and we blow it big. And that whether we want to be, we are often entangled in systems of injustice. This is why leaders must apologize and hear the grumbles. They must apologize. Good leaders love, L-O-V-E, love, love, L, listen to the concerns. O, own their part, plus some, plus some. V, verbalize the hurt they have caused. E, eagerly make reparations, a word I really like, Reparations to the best of their ability. We have been loved and we must love. L-O-V-E, listen, own, verbalize, and eagerly make repair. Jesus at the cross hears the grumbles and at the resurrection he responds. Pouring out his spirit and making us through sanctification who we are called to be, humble, repairers of the breach. So today is the day of repentance for you and I. Until we see him face to face, every day is a day of repentance. So make a phone call, apologize to a, phone, a family member, name your unjust affiliations, repair them because we are a people blessed with unrelenting grace and true forgiveness so that we can become what we have been given. So that we can become what we have been given. Gracious, because we've been given grace. Forgiving, because we've been given forgiveness. Merciful, because we've been given mercy. Repairing, because God is yet fixing us up.
Thanks be to God for his amazing grace. Let's not be annoyed by other people's grace. Thanks be to God for his amazing grace that changes us to change this world. One act of repentance at a time. And I'm so glad that Jesus came to my house for dinner. Amen? Amen. Please remain standing, remain standing. Yes, I will make that call. Yes, Father, I will apologize. Yes, Lord, I will make restitution and repair to the best of my ability. Yes, God, I will stop grumbling when I see you showing love to people that I ought to be loving also. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for how real it is. Thank you that these things were written and recorded for our benefit. Thank you that the word became flesh. Jesus dwelt among us. And we can find hope in these beautiful stories when exposited soundly and given to the people of God in a way that we can understand. Thank you for the gift that you placed in Dr. Edmondson. Thank you for the time she took pouring over the text that she could communicate it in the way that you've given it to her so that she could give it to us. Father God, I pray for a breakthrough for somebody, if not for everybody in here. I thank you, Lord, that when you come to our homes, you bring transformation and salvation and joy, repair. You do so much when you come into our lives may we not doubt what you can do in us yet alone what you can do in others but thank you for seeing us thank you for telling us to come on down now may the grace of God and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit Rest, rule, and abide in our hearts 
both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Can somebody give God a hand praise? Ain't he all right? Ain't he all right? Amen. Well, this Wednesday, if you are able, we will be here for Bible study. Starting a new Bible study this week on Psalm 23. Um, as you heard in the announcements from Felicia, the men have a, a time together this Friday morning here in the Fellowship Hall and then Saturday night. Uh, so there are opportunities for us to connect. If you don't know what's happening, check out the app. Get on the website and be a part of the kingdom. My sister said here, she said, uh, faith has a way of moving your feet. Faith will move your feet. So we're just not the amen crowd. Amen. We're we, we going to amen and do what God told us to do. Because faith without works is what? Faith without works is what? Yeah. That's not going to be my testimony. Y'all have a good day in the Lord, all right? Be blessed, be blessed, be blessed.